Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I want to talk to Kevin McPartland, who's CEO of Fuel for Ireland, about the rising fuel prices. And not only that, the reason why the hauliers, I suppose, were planning to block access to Dublin Port today as part of the protest. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Kevin. How are you doing, Niall? Well, look, the, the protest today didn't kind of go as planned. It was a bit of a damp squib, really. I mean, I, I had planned on being held up on the way from Belfast this morning to Dublin, but not a car, not a, a truck did I see. So I don't think it worked out quite as well as they expected. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I haven't been into into the city centre itself, so I don't know how bad the traffic is. I, I've heard it's less uh, um, frustrating than it was than it was uh, thought it likely. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to say, I think the, I think these guys have have some justification in. in oh, they have an axe to grind, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yes, because they're only getting a twenty percent. They get they get a twenty percent rebate on fuel costs. I suppose that they wanted more. They want more than that, and rightly so, because the cost of fuel. So let's get to why I'm talking to you, of course, because the surging costs of energy and motor fuels are causing an ongoing spike in inflation as well, according to the Central Statistics Office. But is there a light at the end of the tunnel, Kevin? Well, if I was able to predict uh, crude oil prices, uh, Niall, I wouldn't need to be talking to you. Uh, <laughs> much as I'd love it, but uh, I wouldn't need to. Uh, look, it, it, the, the truth of the matter is that. that, that the price at the pump does follow the, the, the crude prices, but it's not immediate. It tends to be about a, a two or a three week delay. Mm-hmm. And right now we have begin to see, begun to see the, the price of, of crude dropping slightly. And it's not huge, but only in the last couple of weeks it's beginning to drop slightly. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's going to, that price drop is going to accelerate much in the coming weeks. That's all I could really say. Yeah, and of course, it's not only about the price of the pump, it's also the price of our home heating oil costs Absolutely. and basically everything that's been operated by fuel, which affects, you know, the stuff we see on the shelves because obviously haulage costs more as well. Uh, and, you know, for, to give people an idea of why these prices go up and down on such a regular basis or, or they go through these phases, I mean, going back a year and a half ago, I filled my car up for €78. Euro. Now I'm filling it for €107. Euro. I mean, why do these prices jump up and down? Obviously, world events have big, a big effect on the price of, of fuels. Yeah, it can, get, it can get really boring really quickly now. So stop me if I, if I stray into that territory. But, but there's a number of different events. And any time you talk about fuel prices, you end up talking about you know, global geopolitics, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the uh, Russians restricted the flow of gas that they were allowing into through the pipeline into Europe. And what that meant was it increased the price of gas globally, hugely. And then there were some people who had previously used gas in a number of industries like the, those who um, make fertilizer, for example, or those who were generating electricity using gas in some countries decided, actually, do you know what? It's cheaper to go off and buy oil to do this. And that's what they did, which in turn ramped up the oil prices. And we're still feeling the impact of that. Then there's, you know, you tie in the, the global problems that anybody who's shopping for Christmas presents right now will be aware of in, in global logistics, mm-hmm. uh, shortage of you know, tanker, tra- tanker um, uh, vessels and these sorts of things. And then you add in a couple of the extra um, problems around, uh, you know, Brexit would have had a, a small impact for us also. Yeah. Uh, but you add all of these things together and it's kind of a perfect storm. And that all happened at the same time as the impact of some of the government, government uh, measures in the public, in budget, particularly the increase in the carbon tax hit. And you end up with a kind of a, a, a really high price. But what I can tell you is I just looked at the figures just before I came on because I thought you'd want facts and figures. Uh, the price of Brent crude 
has gone up 48% from January 1st to today. And the price of petrol has gone up 31%, or the price of diesel, 33%. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at, you know, so, so, the, so you know, Fuels for Island members, the people who are selling on the forecourts or selling for home heating, you know, have, have, have absorbed quite a bit of this. But you also have to recognise that if you're going in and paying, as I did this morning, I actually filled my car this morning, and it was 175 a litre, about 97%, 97 cents of that is going straight to the government in the forms of various different taxes. And that's why there's been a demand, of course, for the government to take this on board. Now, of course, the government are giving everybody a €100 Euro voucher off their home heating oil and uh, off their home heating... Electricity, yeah. Electricity, etc., yeah. etc., yeah. Uh, now, you know, heating oil, obviously, is a lot of people are on heating oil at the moment. A lot of people are still driving diesel or petrol or hybrid cars. You know, the ability for us all to run out and buy an electric car is not going to happen in the next three mm. to four years. It may take ten years. And in the interim, there's not a lot we can do. So it's well, all well and good for the government, you know, to, to levy, uh, you know, taxes on f- fossil fuels. But when we don't really have an alternative yet, it's a little bit unfair, isn't it, to punish the, the citizens, so to speak? Yeah, and, and, and I really do see it that way. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you look at the, the, the classic economic arguments of supply and demand, if you increase the price of something, demand will reduce, you know, um, that doesn't apply to fuel prices. So if you look at, you know, the, the very peak was about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and sales did not reduce at all because... because well, we need us. ...to come down from Belfast to Dublin today. I still need to get into work. You know, people need to drop the kids to school or go to basketball training, whatever it might be. People need it, and they need to keep their homes warm as well. So the government has, has for many years, argued that by increasing the price of fuel through the levying of all of these extra taxes and charges and levies and duties, that they are, you know, um, dissuading people from using fuel. But exactly as you say, I think of, you know, my granny in North Cork and her house that, that would cost 70 or 80 grand to make it what they call heat pump ready. Yes. It's just, she's just not going to do that. So she's still relying on home heating. Well, right? I mean, that, not only your granny's house, if you look across Dublin, all those houses, for example, <coughs> pardon me, which were built, I suppose, during the 50s and 60s. You know, the concrete wall houses where I was raised in Edenmore and mm. uh, incorporation houses. You know, those houses don't have a great energy rating. And to get all those houses retrofitted, which uh, Amy Ryan believes we should, ha- we should be ready to do in 2025. I don't know when they're going to get the people to do all these things, by the way. Um, that we should be able to retrofit all these. So people can't afford to do it. I, they even no. said that we might be able to give it interest-free loans. She or Granny's not going to be able to get an interest-free loan to retrofit her house for thirty or €40,000. If I had thirty or 40000 I wouldn't lend it to her. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interest-free. That's nice of them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but, but these, these are the, the, the things that aren't, aren't spoken about too much. You know, when you get in, into the nitty-gritty of it, it's not just the cost, because the cost is huge, but exactly as you said, you know, where are the tradespeople going to be to do this? We have a housing crisis, so we're building all these extra houses. We're also going to have this huge retrofitting program. And, uh, you know, I can honestly tell you that anybody I speak to who is in this game is saying, it just isn't possible. And we had, you know, I, I don't mean to kind of personalise things. I'm not talking about Eamon Ryan, the man, but I'm talking about the Minister for Environment, Climate and Communications after COP or at COP, you know, uh, patted Ireland on the back and said, we have the most ambitious climate action plan in the world. And then you kind of go, well, if it's the most ambitious, if every other country isn't prepared to be as ambitious as we are, then perhaps we might be saying things that aren't deliverable. 
And so, well, well, they're clearly not. Well, they're clearly not deliverable because let's be clear. I mean, I have a, a BMW, a two-liter diesel car, right? And you know, I don't get me wrong. I'd like to get an electric car tomorrow if I could. I had a loan of one for a weekend, a Tesla, a lovely car, way too expensive for me. I couldn't afford it. And apart from anything else, then I have that thing that they called, uh, which is a fuel fear, which is this whole idea that you're going to run out of electricity, and there isn't enough places to charge the bloody thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not having a go at Tesla. I'm not having a go at all the electric car companies and the people who sell electric cars. They're a great idea. I think maybe hydrogen may take over in 10 years, but however, in the interim, I believe they're a great idea. But I genuinely don't believe that we're going to have enough, you know, roadside um, chargers or what's going to happen on the four courts of the garage until we get to a point where they design a battery that's going to charge in three or four minutes and lasts maybe six or seven hundred kilometres. I think it's a pointless exercise. I, I agree with you entirely. And, and I, like you, I, I love the idea of having, a, having an EV. But, you know, like many people in Dublin or in any of the cities around the country, I don't have off-street parking. So my car is parked on the side of my street. So, so you're going to run a cable out the window to it. <laughs> well, yeah, and be responsible for the trip hazard or whatever. But, but, but then you think, OK, well, how are we going to manage that? So Irish forecourts lead Europe in the provision of electric charging. So, so we have about three times the national average, the, the European average of sites that provide EV charging. We have 7.5% of all of our sites provide EV charging against a European average of 2.4%. So we're doing that. We, you know, the, the Fuels Friday members are embracing this technology, wanting to play their role in, in helping us decarbonize. But the reality is that, that you and I, and, and let's be frank, you and I both have decent jobs. We're you know, comfortable enough. Neither one of us can go out and buy a new Tesla today. It's, you know, they have to recognize that people are going to take a long time to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about a just transition, and the government talks about a just transition to carbon neutrality, at the moment, there's no transition because we're not accepting... Well, wouldn't, wouldn't hybrid have been the it. obvious transition? I mean, hybrid, I think, is a great idea. I think it's the obvious transition, uh, whereby you still have your, you know, your fossil fuel engine, which is enough to charge up a battery to keep your car going. So uh, that would have been the obvious transition, but we don't seem to have adapted that very well. And even in the budget, the, the government uh, actually withdrew the, the financial supports for hybrids. And, and you know, uh, th- there is a, there's a bit of ideological purity that, uh, that, that some of the policymakers are, are indulging, which is to say, if it's not perfect, I'm not interested. And the, the best example I have from my sector on that is around home heating. So they want everybody to move to heat pumps and to move away from fossil fuels. And that's a lovely ambition. But as, you, as we talked about my granny's house, it's not realistic for so many people. And it's not going to start until 2025. But in the year, exactly. and, and this is what well, I can't start. When, when Eamon Ryan recognises this can't start to 2025 because we don't have the staff and they want to start training people coming out of college, right, to do the, the conversions and to do these retrofits. Um, yes, we're willing to put the tax on now. In other words, for the three years or four years leading up to that, let's penalise everybody anyway. And, and that's what I just don't understand the whole principle behind this when it comes to fossil fuels. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mind you, I, you know, I'm not totally against fossil fuels. There are some people who are completely against them. I'm not totally against them. I think they'll always play a role in this world that we live in because they're free uh, and they come out of the ground and they're always going to be there. So I'm not completely against it. I don't know what your position on that is. I'd, I'd be I'd be probably stronger stronger than, than you in terms of, of thinking that they don't have a role very long term. I think I think, but we have to recognise that there's a curve that's coming through. I'm sitting here in my office now. And I'm looking at a sign that I use: plans before bans. We can't just keep out coming and saying we're going to ban this, we're going to ban this by 2030. We're going to stop oil boilers being installed in houses. But what's the plan? How do we get there? And how do we start reducing emissions from the houses that are unable to eliminate them right now? 
how do motorists who can't eliminate emissions... Would that, would that not have been a better idea, Kevin? Because when we look at, say, come back to my car again, my two-litre diesel, it has that, uh, what's it, blue, whatever it's called. Ad uh, blue. Yeah, ad blue, right? Which, uh, it's not the same type of diesel car that you would have bought 20 years ago that was a two-litre that was puffing out black smoke out of the back of it. So, I mean, we've come on a long way in cleaning flu- uh, fuels, in, you know, reducing emissions... And I imagine in another 10 years, we could even reduce that a bit more. So that, that, what I'm, the point to make it is, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we ramp up the use of fuel, fuel mm-hmm. but certainly we reduce the amount of fuel, the fossil fuel that we use, and the fossil fuel we do use, we keep it clean. Would that not have been a better idea? And then replace some of it, obviously, uh, with electric or hydrogen, if that becomes the thing in the future as well. Would that not be in the way forward? It's, it's a very smart point, because, yeah, and, and to get into the technical side of it, if you're talking about a 10-year-old, uh, five series BMW that was that would probably have had a, a Euro four class engine, and if you have one that's been produced in the last couple of years, it would be Euro six, and then going into Euro seven. Now, if you look at the emissions from a Euro six engine and compare it to an electric vehicle using electricity that's generated the way we do generate electricity with fossil fuels, with yeah. fossil fuels, the emissions uh, the emission savings are far from dramatic. Really are. And that's not including the. And I remember reading about the study concluding the, the the damage created by the production of the car in the first place. I remember reading yeah. somewhere that you have to do a hundred thousand miles on the car for it to cancel itself out as far as the damage that's done. Anyway, that's a, a, an even more complicated conversation. But look, Evan, just one final question. So. Give us a little bit of a break here. I know you're not a fortune teller. You, as you rightly said, you wouldn't be on the radio if you said, if you were. You'd be in a little hut with a globe somewhere making money. <laughs> but in saying that, do you do you think it looks like we might get ourselves back down to 140 a diesel or whatever it is, or 140 or petrol in the coming months? Niall, I'm going to upset you and your listeners even more. I'm going to tell you that on January the 1st, there are changes to government policy on a couple of things. One called the Energy Efficiency Obligation Scheme and one the Biofuels Obligation Scheme that will involve increased costs to, to, to Fuel for Island members. Uh, so that, I think, is going to lead, perhaps not quite on January 1st, but very soon after, to a, a further 2 or $0.03 cent increase uh, yeah. going on then. Now, as I say, that, that's subject to what the changes in the overall global market will be, but they're local charges that government are, are, are causing to be introduced uh, early in January. All right, well, listen, that's not good news. Anyway, listen, thank you very much Sorry indeed. Thanks. Uh, Kevin McPartland, CEO of Fuel for Ireland. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.